This is the Tribe of Millionaires podcast from Go Abundance. The tribe of healthy, wealthy, generous people who choose to live epic lives. Listen Tuesdays for featured guests and Fridays for Go Abundance member spotlights. But listen always to hear how our guests have grabbed life big. Now, here's your host, Jamie Gruber. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the show. I'm really excited today to have this guest. This is a guy I've gotten to know who's uh, affiliated to a lot of guys in GoBundance. One in particular we'll talk about here in a second. Uh, but he's got a very unique skill set. And actually, his name is used as if he is the gold standard for what he does. So his name is Matt King. He's the chief operating officer slash chief of staff for David Osborne's organization. For those that don't know David, David is one of the largest real estate owners in the country, and he's one of the GoBundance founders, uh, a man with a significant net worth who's been uh, who's been out there, wrote a best-selling book, all of that. And Matt is really uh, the, the, the work behind a lot of the operation that David has. He's a significant human being, and I'm really, really pleased to have him here today. So Matt, thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jamie. It's, a, it's an honor to be on the show, and it's really great to be talking to you. And in this kind of capacity, I mean, I've gotten to know you over the last, what, two to three years? Oh my yeah. God, Santa Claus is walking outside with a suitcase. Sorry, dude. I just got so distracted. <laughs> Look at this. Hey, Santa. <laughs> Sorry, dude. All right. Um, you, want to, you want to start that again? No, no, no. So I'll just, um, so yeah, it's been an honor to get to know you over the last couple of years. Um, it's been, it's cool to be communicating with you in this environment. We've gotten to do something similar for the Emerge program, which you launched through GoBundance probably yeah. about 12 months ago now. I mean, we got to have that little fireside chat on the couch at the McCarthy's house where we talked about, you know, my nine figure boss. Um, but it's also fun to see you growing personally, too, and doing different things and being a part of the journey you're on as well and learning from you every time we communicate. So thanks for having me on. Yeah, likewise, in all of that, I appreciate you saying that. So let's start with your backstory. You didn't wake up one day and, you know, become a chief of staff here. What's the uh, what's the route of Matt King to where you are today? Yeah, I was born and raised in Wisconsin, small town just north of Milwaukee, about 30 minutes north of Milwaukee. Um, two great parents, younger sister, um, very competitive athlete growing up, always wanting the challenge, always wanting more. Um, I was actually talking to somebody today about it. Um, I hate the idea of losing more than I like the idea of winning because it's just an expectation that I've had from a very young age that I'm going to win. So if I win, it was always like, okay, cool. And if I lost, it was like devastating and crushing and demoralizing. Um, grew up, went to high school, obviously started going to college, um, and quickly learned that I could be entrepreneurial or I could be educational based. And for me, the two didn't really work well together. So I was running a uh, company out of Wisconsin doing custom shirts and vinyl signs while going to school, um, decided that I no longer wanted to, to go to school, wanted to launch my own business and quickly realized I could spend $3,000 to write a paper, or I could make $3,000 printing t-shirts for a run for a hospital up in Wisconsin, um, and started doing my own business. Um, along the journey, I started working at a country club, and it was one of the most important things that I think happened for me, because I was able to meet people who were what I determined in my life at that moment in time, successful. And, and to su success for me in that moment was people that had money. And in order to be in a country club, generally speaking, you had to have money. Um, but I'll never forget this one guy. Um, he gave me a really great lesson one day. We were just collaborating. I worked in the locker room as the shoe boy. So I just shined people's shoes and clean their golf shoes for a living, which was really cool, really unique. 
Um, and he was asking me like, what did I want to be? And we were talking and he looked at me and he said, I just want you to remember there's a million ways to make a million dollars. And I was like, oh, what does that mean? He's like, you know, look at me. I think he was like a 45 year old Jewish white guy, really nice, really down to earth. And he had created a hair care product that happened to go viral for African-American individuals. And Walmart picked up his product and it absolutely blew up. They ended up buying him out of the product, but he created it by accident. And his point in telling me that was just to continue to choose along your journey and amazing things will show up for you. And what I did was I just like took that lesson to heart and said, there are a million ways to make a million dollars, but you have to choose and you have to continue to choose. And so the most important thing that I did along my journey, Jamie, was make choices to be around great people and to do things that stretched me as a human being. Uh, my, my girlfriend at the time when I dropped out of college was going to the University of Minnesota. She said, hey, I'm going to go teach in the inner city schools of DC. Um, I don't know what happens with us. I'm like, oh, well, I'll move there with you. So I sold my silk screening business that I had started, felt like I was richer than, you know, I knew what to do with because I had like 25,000 bucks to my name and thought I was this amazing, cool 23-year-old kid driving a BMW, which was a stupid purchase, but I did it anyways. Um, and we moved to Baltimore. We lived in Baltimore for the summer while she went to training. Um, and then we were going to decide if we were in Baltimore or DC, depending on where she got placed and what school she got placed in. So it was a very short gig. We were in Baltimore and I looked up like, how can I give back? Like, you know, in my mind, I'd achieved success. I had all this cash. I was so cool. Like, look at me. And I was like, oh, what, you know, what could I do during the day to keep myself busy? I don't want to go find a job because I don't know if I'm going to be in Baltimore, DC, like they're close, but they're not close enough to drive. And every single day in my mind. So I went on Craigslist and found an ad for a camp that was hiring counselors that would give you a $500 stipend for a two week camp to work at a camp for children with incarcerated parents. It was in walking distance from this apartment that I had sublet and I was like, oh, that's a cool way to give back. I'll go do that. Long story short, one day we're taking the bus, we're taking our mentees on the bus from, D, uh, from Baltimore to Washington, DC. And this guy gets on the bus named Pat Hyben. And he and, and myself are mentors for the four or five kids in our little group. Like we're chaperones, we're the liaisons. Make sure these kids don't get in trouble for the day. You're going to ride on the bus. You're going to take them around the, the national mall. And then you're going to get back on the bus, come back. So we're sitting on the bus. I'm 23. think I'm like, you know, greater than life because I've got some cash and I'm giving back. And this guy sits on the bus. I'm like, Hey, I'm Matt. What's your name? He's like, I'm Pat. Like, oh, cool. Like, what do you do? He's like, I'm an investor. I'm like, oh, fuck, here we go. One of these guys. Like, what does that mean? Like, you know, I'm just a small town kid out of Wisconsin. I didn't know what that meant. He's like, I'm a real estate investor. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. I'm like, you know, I'm a big believer that there's something to learn from everybody. So my first intuition was like, huh, what about this guy? But if it's the janitor in the, in the hallway at a hotel, like there's a lesson I can learn from them if I'm willing to extract it. So I just remained curious with them. We hung out with our kids all day. We were playing, we were having fun. I was getting to know him. He was getting to know me. We were seeing, you know, these kids experience DC, which they lived an hour and a half away from or two hours away from that they'd never been. And we get back on the bus and I'm asking them more questions. He's like, yeah, I was a real estate agent. I became an investor and I started buying homes and I own rental properties. And I'm a New York Times bestselling author. And immediately I was like, oh, one of these guys, like a New York Times bestselling author. So I like went on Amazon. And I mean, Amazon, this was like eight, it would have been eight years ago. Amazon was like a thing, but it wasn't like a thing like it is today thing. Sure, sure, yeah. I like remembered I ordered a book on Amazon. I get it like three days later and it's his book, Six Steps to Seven Figures. And I read the book from front to back in 24 hours. And I sent him a little Twitter message because that's what you did back in the day and said like, Hey, I read your book from front to back. What would it take to get coffee with you? And he's like, 
holy shit, you read it in like 24 hours. Like, let's go have lunch. And I started picking his brain and just stayed engaged with him. We moved to DC, some things happened. And all of a sudden we stayed in a relationship. He's like, Hey, what would it take to get you to come work for me? This is, I've got some cool little projects. I think you could run these. I was like, Oh, that'd be really cool. I can learn from you. I can grow whatever. So I did that. He then said, Hey, I want you to go volunteer at this GoBundance event. I own this mastermind group called GoBundance. And I was like, mastermind, I don't even know what the heck a mastermind is. Illuminati. Yeah, exactly. So I, I flew down to Florida and he's like, you're going to stay in a 11, 10, 10 or 11 bedroom house. Ricky Williams coming, my business partner and best friend, David Osborne's coming. You know, it's this amazing, beautiful mansion in Orlando and you're going to sleep on the floor on the couch, but you'll just volunteer all day and it'll be fine. I'm like, All right. Well, sure. I'll do it. You're my boss. I'll do it. I, you know, whatever. I'll go learn, see what this is all about. I mean, it changed my life, man. I met Rock Thomas. I met David Osborne. I met Ricky Williams. Um, you know, I was volunteering from 6 a.m. till probably midnight every day, sleeping on the couch, making sure the chef had the meals ready, like being in these conversations about money and health and freedom and family. And I mean, like my mind was blown and um, David and Rock went to play golf and they knew I was a big golfer. And they said, hey, do you want to come golf with us? I said, I'd love to golf with you guys, but I'd rather caddy. And I asked, fine, you can caddy. We don't care. Like, whatever, but why don't you play? I'm like, no, no, I'll caddy. So I was standing on the back of a golf cart, listening to two, like very, very successful, motivated, driven human beings talking about how to become even sharper versions of themselves. I was like, what the heck did I do right to end up in this spot? And it goes back to like what that guy at the country club said was just keep making choices and just keep kind of serving and the world will show up in unique ways. Long story short, um, volunteered at a couple of abundance events, had rewrote my five-year vision that I lived in Austin, Texas and worked for David Osborne. Love Pat to death. He's taught me so many great, valuable lessons. He was in a place in his life where he was like, hey, I want to be a retirement guy and I want to kind of just do my thing, boogie around Carolinas on a, on a bike and hang out and have fun. And David was still wanting to, to grow his organization and on a rocket ship and where I was at in my life, that opportunity was more appealing to me than, than coasting. And so... I rewrote my five-year vision, said I live in Austin, Texas. I work for David Osborne. And without even telling him this, two weeks later, he called and said, hey, what would it take to get you to Austin? I think you're really talented. My world's a mushroom cloud getting ready to explode. And uh, why don't you come check it out? I was like, well, shit, I've never even been to Texas. Like, this is how small town Wisconsin. I was like, I've never even been to Texas. So my wife and I came here, fell in love with the city, fell in love with the opportunity, still worked for Pat for a while while I was working for David, transitioned the stuff I was doing for Pat off to another another team that, that I helped put together with him to make sure I didn't leave him hanging, still have an amazing relationship with Pat, um, talked to him probably twice a month and, and love the guy to death and now work for David, have been here for about seven years. Now, did you, when you came to work for him initially, was it in a capacity of being, you know, like, Hey, you're going to run all my stuff or what was the, how did you step into that role? What was the first thing that you were doing? Yeah. So David looked at me and said, I think you're really talented. I'm not really sure what you can do for me, but if I'm right, you'll figure it out. I was like, Oh shit, that's like interesting. So it was like, it would be like a football coach saying like, Hey, I think you're talented. Go on the field. I don't know what position to put you at, but like, you'll figure it out. Um, And so when I started with David, he had a, a couple EAs, one of which who, Terry Rose is, was like one of the greatest mentors for me in the business world to just understand systems, processes, communication, et cetera, organization. Um, and I was just like this third wheel that they brought in that was this young kid. And they were like, what the hell are you doing here? And so like very early on, I was working out of David's house. I saw like he was always late for meetings. I was like, dude, like, you know, 
for a week. This meeting's at nine. You know what the traffic's like in Austin. You know the roads you're taking every day to get to this coffee shop. Like, how are we late? So I started like looking at it. I'm like, oh, he's always late because he can't find his sunglasses. He can't find his wallet. He can't find his journal. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Like, well, what if all of those were there? Um, and so what I started to do is I started to back his car out in the driveway, paint, park it facing forward. So all he had to do was put it in drive and go. I put his sunglasses in there, put his work journals in there, put his wallet in there and said, send him a text and said, hey, your car's ready to go. Everything's in there. Have a great meeting. And all of a sudden, like he started being on time for meetings. And I was like, holy shit, I wonder where else I could do this. So we started doing it with emails. We started doing it with deals. We started doing it with personal stuff. He'd be like, I'd really like a place where I can play Xbox with my wife and my daughter. My daughter, she, Bella was probably, man, eight at the time, seven at the time. And she was just getting into Minecraft and he liked how it made her creative and taught her how to build stuff. He's like, oh, it'd be cool to have like a setup where we could all play Minecraft. So I like called him like uh, electronics guy. I was like, hey, can we get three TVs or three Xboxes that can all land into each other so they can play on their own screens, but have like a family bonding experience. And one day he came up straight and said, what the heck is going on here? And I'm like, he said, you want to play Xbox and Minecraft? And he's like, oh my gosh, this is like really cool. And it got to the point where I think there was a moment where he started to be a little careful about what he said around me because I was like, I'm going to take what he said. I'm going to make it a reality as quickly as I possibly can. Yeah. 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 Um, and so, yeah, it's, it started off literally as like me just being the water boy. I'd go to all the meetings with him. I just sit there quietly, never barely say a word, take notes, take copious amounts of notes, listen, you know, journal about it, make a, you know, what would I do if I were asked, what would I do? Like started playing role-playing in my own head and slowly like the conversations in the car became like, well, what do you think I should do? Where do you think? And slowly I started to like kind of get put in the game, if you will. Um, and then, you know, each day to this day, I still have to earn the right to stay in the game. Like at any moment, at any time, somebody else could come up behind me and take, you know, be a better version of me. It's like an NFL quarterback. Like, Aaron Rodgers, I'm a huge Packers fan. Like, shoot, they go and draft his replacement. What does he do the next year? He goes and becomes the MVP. Like, that's how I live my life. And, and that's how I still work to this day. But it started off as like, dude, fill up my water cup, make sure I got some coffee. Um, and, and I knew that if I surrounded myself with the right people, amazing stuff would show up. And so, you know, I just continued to serve. And, and when my number was called, I was ready to play. Talk a little bit about uh, about that. There's a couple things I want to come back to, but I want to talk a little bit about this this um, this service. So you, I said at the beginning here that you know your name is sort of synonymous, like a like used as a I don't know an adjective, a verb, whatever. But like people will say in GoBundas quite a bit, like, hey, I'm trying to find my Matt King, right? You're kind yeah. of known as the the uh, the gold standard of chiefs of staff or chief operating officers. So as an integrator, which is what I view you as, as somebody who is that integrator for, for uh, you know, maybe a visionary or for somebody that's, that's, uh, that's building a business the way at the size and scale that David is, what are some of the things that you think? I mean, you mentioned about this, this service piece, and maybe it starts there. Like, is that something that you do or something that you are? What is that? Like, what are some of the things that you feel are essential if you were giving advice to another person who's about to start this journey as an integrator? for an Osborne type organization, what are some of the things you would tell that person that you've learned in your time or that you've done that's made you so successful? I mean, it's a great question. I think like the first thing I would answer was like, you know, that service-based individual, like leading with a servant's heart. I think you either are that or you aren't that. Now, like everybody can change over time, Jamie, but as we were talking about before we started the recording, like I equate it to kind of like healthy versus unhealthy people. Like 
you can go on a crash course diet and lose 15 pounds. But if you don't truly change the framework that got you to be overweight or out of shape originally, like you're going to end up back there. And the same is true with a servant-based individual. Anybody can stretch and do something for a certain period of time, but at some point that willpower, willpower will run out, the tank will be on empty and your true colors will show up. So as a visionary, um, I would always coach people to say, look for somebody who's worked at a restaurant, who's worked at a country club, who's worked in a daycare, who's cleaned bathrooms, like look for somebody who's been in a role where they've been required to be a servant-based individual and look for a track record of success there. Because really what an integrator is, is sort of a servant-based leader for the visionary. Yeah. Like it, it, it's, it's, it's the backup quarterback, right? Like I've got to make sure every time David goes in the game, he's prepared to play the game and I have to be prepared to step in if I get called on. And when we win, the backup quarterback's not getting the credit and I don't want the credit. That's not who I am as an individual. So I think I would always tell, you know, say like, you know, you've got to find somebody that's servant based, like willing to lead and be of service. I mean, the really cool thing about David is David's servant minded as well. Like there's days where I'll walk out of his house and he'll grab my lunch bag. I'm like, you know, what are you doing? He's like, let me carry your lunch for you. You do a lot for me. Let me do something for you too. And I'm like, wow, that's really nice. Like who the heck am I to have you carrying my lunch? You know? So I think people either have it or they don't have it. Um, the other thing I would tell somebody that, that is, is getting an opportunity similar to the ones that I've been lucky enough to land um, was don't be afraid to ask questions and don't be afraid to not be heard. Like, I think a lot of times people get put in situations where they feel this great desire to be heard. And the only way I can bring, bring value to an opportunity is if I talk. Like, I mean, I think sometimes the most dangerous people are the ones who sit silently in the meetings taking notes because they're the ones that are processing it on probably an even greater, deeper level than anybody doing the communication. Um, so I always tell people like, don't be afraid to just be that fly on the wall and listen and take notes and observe and, and just be present and an absolute sponge of information. Like when I was in the car riding places with David, he'd be on phone calls talking about short sales and foreclosures and deals and prefs and promotes and carries. And I'm like, you know, writing down all these things or Googling them on my phone while he's going, because I didn't have the slightest idea what half of these things were. Um, I'm not like this Harvard educated guy who was like, here's a family office, go figure it out. And so, you know, I would coach people to like, not be afraid to be humble and curious in the role. Like, like today, Jamie, we were talking about the videos you're, you're doing. And you, yep. and you said, you were telling me about the videos. I'm like, what is that? I never heard of that. And I'm, I'm always still to this, this day, try to be that curious person. And I think that's one of the things that's helped me in the role. I'm not afraid to call a lawyer and say like, I don't understand this. Tell like, explain this to me like an idiot would understand it. And like, if I still don't get it, I go like, try again. That wasn't like, I still don't get it. Um, and then I think, you know, finally would just be having a growth-based mindset. I think one of the unique things that, that happened when I worked, started working with Pat and happened when I started working with David is I had that entrepreneurial spirit as well. So being the jet fuel to an entrepreneur who's already taken off the runway is exciting for me because it shortens my curve. Like 
I don't have to, they've already experienced all the failures. I get to jump on board once they've already taken off, which is kind of selfish, but I don't have to have all those same failures that they've had because I'm on their ship that has already experienced the failures and overcome them. And so I would, I would tell, I would tell people like, don't be afraid to be growth minded and remember that the, the situations that they've come from, they've already learned a lot of the failures. So don't be delusional to think like there aren't still going to be more failures, but like having that growth mindset and that desire to be entrepreneurial inside of an organization, I think is one of the most powerful things that an, an integrator can have. And it's very uncomfortable and it's very scary because you're not the visionary, but like you can find unique ways to do it in a smaller, less risky scale, you know, day to day with tasks that you're given. Is there anything that comes to mind for you that gives an example of that? Is there anything that jumps to mind that you've uh, you've had the opportunity to maybe, it sounds like, I don't know, put your spin on or, or have some, some entrepreneurial work within the yeah. framework of this entrepreneur's yeah. organization? So managing David's calendar and my calendar is like a zoo. Like there's just <laughs> stuff flying around and time zones and appointments and all this stuff. And I absolutely hate it. Yeah. But it is so important for an entrepreneur who's moving fast. When I think of Pat Hyben or David Osborne or Wally Alleyberry or you or Chris Ryan, like your calendar becomes your Bible. Like your wife says like, what are you doing today at 11? And you don't go like, oh, here's what I'm doing. You're like, let me look at my calendar. And you like pull up your calendar on your phone, but I hated it. And it was so important to have the details and have the details right. And the time zones, right. So like I recognized early on the importance of David's calendar and how we managed it and the intention behind the decisions we made with his calendar, but also the descriptions that went in there. But again, I hated it. So I was like, who can I hire that won't cost David a lot of money that can help us do this at a really high level? And I quickly learned that I could offload that to a virtual assistant who owned it, loved it, was very detail-oriented loved creating the systems and the templates and the processes. And I could literally just forward an email to her and say, David's calendar, please. So it gave me an opportunity to be entrepreneurial as to like, how do I solve this problem yeah. inside of his world that relieved me of something that I hated to do, but it was super, super important. That makes perfect sense. That's a great example. I love that. Um, okay. If you were to flip this around, well, actually, I take this a step back. The service-based individual, I think, is really interesting because I, I agree with you that I think it's a have or have not. I took this course once called, um, I think it was Sacred Gifts or something like that. Yeah. And they described service as a gift. And it, 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 they go through and describe what that looks like in, in play, like in day-to-day in -day life. And it made me realize I don't have that gift. I don't have the gift of service naturally. And this is the example they gave because I've done this and people listening, and maybe, maybe this resonates with you. You would be the type knowing you, you would be the type that walks into say a, a room getting ready for a party. That's getting ready to get set up tables and table toppers and chairs and all that stuff. And you'd see stuff being done and you would see the opportunity to maybe go grab some chairs and put them on the tables or, you know, Oh, you need more, more silverware sets. They're all wrapped over here and just kind of hand them out. I, I wouldn't see any of that happening. And people might look at that as being flippant or, or even narcissistic in some ways, right? Like, oh, why well, he was too good to help out, but I just don't see it. I yeah. don't, it doesn't occur to me that I could insert myself here and help out or cleaning up after an event. Everybody's cleaning up. I walk in and I, it just doesn't occur to me like, oh, I should probably help out. Not, not all the time, but it's just not something that naturally comes to me. With you and another guy I know named Darren Prince. I've talked to you about him. He's a, an agent for huge, yeah. huge celebrities. Yeah. Same thing. He does not have a huge brand because he loves being the guy behind the guy. He loves 
the gift that he has of service and executing that just like you do. So I just yeah. wanted to spike that football a little bit because I agree with you that service and that it's a gift. It's an absolute gift. And if you don't have it, I don't know, would you say, tell me if I'm wrong here, I might not want to be an integrator. I might not want to take on a, a, a high level entrepreneur's world if I don't have that gift. Fair or am I being too- Yeah, I would, I would say you might not want to take it on for a long period of time. Like you might want to take it on for the opportunity to learn and grow and be educated, but take it on with the understanding of willpower is a fuel tank. I think Ben Hardy wrote, you know, willpower won't last or something like that. Doesn't work. And basically the the concept behind that is, is like you can will yourself to do something regardless of the situation, but at some point you will burn out. So if you do not have that, it's just like, like one of your greatest gifts is like, you can find commonality with anybody you talk to. Like you're yep. very, very, very good at communicating, creating relationship, creating connection, and then following up with that. Like you like that. I absolutely hate it. I can do it, but I hate it. So I don't I'll text you after I'll, I'll text you right after. No, yeah, yeah. You, and you will, and you will, and you'll send me a picture and then, if, yeah, no. And, and, um, I don't like that. So I think like the greatest gift is not necessarily like having the servant based mindset. The greatest gift is understanding what your gifts are and just maximizing them to your fullest potential. I'm fortunate that one of the greatest gifts I think that I learned from my parents and my grandparents and probably some of the circumstances in life is like, I'm a team player. I don't really take things personal and I'm a service-based individual and I got lucky enough to fall into an opportunity with Pat that got lucky enough to fall into an opportunity with David that has just been really, really a great blessing for myself and my family and a great opportunity opportunity for me to learn and grow. Now, if David would have called five years ago and said, hey, I think you'd be a great salesman for me, I might've still said yes to that opportunity, but I don't know that I'd still be here because I would have gotten burned out. That makes sense. See, and I say the greatest gift is a well-timed text gif of an image that's funny. That's what I say. That's what you say. But yeah, that's just me. I don't even know how to do the gif thing on my phone. You're a young man. You should learn this technology. It's I not should. that hard. It's not that yeah. hard. All right, let's flip this around. So if I'm a if I'm a visionary and I'm looking for, like I've gotten myself to a place where I need this integrator, this chief of staff, that sort of thing. I'm looking for some of the things you've already described. I want somebody who is service-based, who notices the details, the little things who, oh, wow, they did this for me and you know, put my stuff in my car and pointed it out the driveway like you did. That mindset, I'm looking for that. I'm looking for somebody that might be a little bit more you know, lurks in the shadows. They're, they're listening. That sounds terrible, but they're listening. They're absorbing. They're not necessarily out there, you know, just yeah. talking all the time. Um, but you see that going into action like, oh, they really were listening, right? You're looking for that. I'm looking yeah. for somebody who's got a growth mindset, who has that entrepreneurial spirit. All of that's great. What else should a visionary, if anything, would you give advice to a visionary to look for skill set wise, mindset wise, uh, maybe even experience wise, if any, um, in that ideal integrator, getting their Matt King? How do they find you? Yeah, I think um, so. There's there's two questions that you've asked. One is how do they find that person? And then what else should they look for? Like, how do you find that person is mm-hmm. what I'll answer first. And the yeah. way I'd answer that is like, we all go to restaurants. We all go to places where we have to provide service. Like I can give you a perfect example. So last week, no, excuse me, this week, Tuesday, my wife said, let's go get a Christmas tree. So it's me, my wife, my two and a half year old and my six month old at Home Depot at seven o'clock on a Tuesday night looking for Christmas trees because the other Christmas tree farm was too expensive. And I was like, this is a six foot tree. I'm not paying that much money for a tree, but whatever. It doesn't matter. We go to Home Depot. And we meet this kid named William. He's 20 years old. He's worked at Home Depot for four years. 
He's on the shotgun club for a little local college in, in our area. And you asked me how I know all this stuff. I recognized immediately when I met William and he offered to go back to the crated trees in the back and find us one of the things we were looking for and bring it to the front that he was a servant-based individual that was willing to do whatever it took to help make people happy. Mm. So I knew immediately that that was somebody that we in David's world could hire to do something for us. So I immediately started to connect with them. I immediately started to build a bond with them. I've got his phone number, I gave him a $20 tip, which I had to slip under the counter because he said Home Depot fires him if he gets a tip, which is absolutely ridiculous because he was the most amazing person I've met. And I've started communicating with him via text because I recognized immediately at Home Depot getting a Christmas tree that that's a servant-based individual and I can't train somebody to have that servant heart. Like I can't teach that. I can teach him anything else. Like I can teach him how to build a spreadsheet. I can teach him how to look at PLs. I can teach him how to manage the calendar, which I hate to do. You know, I can teach him those things, but I can't teach him that servant heart. So I would tell a visionary, everywhere you go, you're going to be in opportunities and situations where you'll see people who either have the servant-based heart or don't. You'll go to the restaurant and be like, this server sucks or this server's great. They didn't write down my order and they brought me an extra Diet Coke or they did write down my order and they forgot I didn't want onions on the burger. You'll be able to start to see those patterns and those habits and you'll be able to start to know what you want in your integrator when you're hiring them. Do you want somebody that writes down your order and asks you a million questions? Because you might. Do you want someone that doesn't write down your order, but you said you wanted burgers, you said you wanted a burger and a beer, so I'm just going to bring you the fries anyways. That might be what you want. Um, and start to recognize the people that you see on a daily basis in those servant-based roles and then start to recruit them. I mean, Hal Alrod, I think uh, Tiffany's been with him, I don't know, six, seven years. I think she was a server at a restaurant. I think that's how he met her, I believe, if I'm correct. Um, William, I mean, shit, I hope we can hire William. He, he's, you know, I, I know all about him. He's going to take me and teach me how to shoot the shotgun my father-in-law gave me that I've never shot. I don't even know how to load her, barely take it out of the box. But I'm going to go learn from William and give yeah. him a chance to show me his expertise and be humble enough to learn from him. And hopefully that leads to an opportunity for us to be able to bring him into David's organization and give him an opportunity to thrive in our area of expertise. And so I would tell a visionary that that's what they should be doing. Um, and then you said, what other skill sets should they be looking for? You know, the other thing I would tell you is like, find somebody that's humble. Like William didn't come out and say like, yeah, I'm on the college shotgun team and like get your own damn tree. William was quiet. He was humble. How can I help you? Your daughter's adorable. Like he was very, very, very humble. And I had to pry out of him what he's accomplished and what he does. And I think to be that sort of second in command, if you will, like I think, you know, the man behind the curtain, however you want to call it, you have to find somebody that's humble and doesn't mind if they're not the one in the spotlight on the stage at the Super Bowl holding the MVP trophy and getting the confetti. Like my point of view is like, if I'm the water boy and we win the Super Bowl, I get a freaking ring. Like, hell yeah, I'm in. Right. And there's a lot of people that I think that are like that. And there's a lot of people that aren't. So when you're looking for that integrator, having that humble person, that's okay. Not being in the limelight is something to look for too. As an integrator, do you fear being capped at all by being sort of a servant based individual? It's an interesting question because at the same time, in my mind, 
David, you said has this sort of a servant-based mindset, but is it, if I'm, if I'm listening to this and I'm saying, man, I really resonate with what he just said, man, I'm a servant-based guy. So yeah, maybe I could, or gal, I can be that second in command, that man or woman behind the curtain, as you described, is that my market cap? Uh, I think the only market cap you have is the cap that you put on yourself and the choice you make to stop continuing to want to be more. Well said. Like, I like, like that. I have infinite potential inside of Dave's organization because I'm willing to constantly continue to evolve as a human being and who I am inside of his organization without losing the DNA that I have, which is the servant-based individual. Yeah. So now it's to the point where like, I'm talking to the lawyers, I'm in the mediations, I'm doing these things. And if David needs water, I'll get him water. But I had to evolve as a human being. I had to learn those things. I had to grow as an individual to understand how to do those things. The only cap that I have in my life and I think anybody is the own, the, the cap that they put on their own life, the own limitations that they set in their own mind. Like, I mean, David's incredible, awesome, amazing entrepreneur. I've got like infinite potential with him and, and nowhere to go. And if Elon Musk called David tomorrow and said, hey, I'm looking for an integrator. Do you want to come work for me? I bet David would think about it. Like there is no cap, like there's always more, there's always bigger, there's always different, but the thing you have to do as a human being, and the only thing you can control as a human being is to continue to choose to grow as, as yourself and continue to evolve yourself. I like that. Well, you, that kind of circles back to what you said at the beginning, being a service-based individual, not being afraid to sort of observe and growth-based mindset. So if you continue to grow, then your, your market cap is unlimited, period no matter what your role is, integrator, visionary, you know, service-based, not service-based, so on and so forth. That's yeah. awesome. Take me back real quick, a couple more questions, then we'll wrap up here. But what you talked in the beginning about being sort of when you win, you win, when you lose, you're demoralized. Um, with the people that you've been around that you've observed, even for you, is reward something that, I, quick sidebar, I had a conversation with some people recently were like, man, the reward doesn't really fire me up. It's more like if there's a consequence, that's when I feel accountable. Is that what you are? Do you see that in, in successful people? Does it matter? Is it like reward or consequence, whatever drives you? Or do you feel like, like, is that something that you feel like you need to get better at? Or do you just say, no, this is me. I don't care about the reward. I care about, you know, not losing. I don't care necessarily about, and I shouldn't say care. I don't get fired up by the win. I get fired up when I lose. And then that pushes me to the next win. Does it matter? Do you need to improve on that? Do you think, or is it just is what it is? That's a loaded question, man. I mean, it's, um, <laughs> It's a really, really good question and it has me like really deeply pondering. And my initial gut reaction says the reward is less relevant to me than the scoreboard. Cause again, I want to win. So like, if it's like, Hey, if we close this deal, you get, you know, 50 bucks, like, okay, that's interesting, but closing the deal is more important to me. So like, what is the score on the scoreboard? And then knowing the reward will fall into place is, is beneficial obviously like I've got that entrepreneurial spark and money still is a driver for me. Like winning is a driver, but money still drives me and motivates me. It creates freedom. It creates choice. It gives my family opportunities. Like money's important to me, but I don't do everything I do just for money. Like a lot of what I do, I know that by winning money will be a result of it, but I, I want to win. So like, I don't, I don't know that I need to work on it. I don't know that I need to grow on it. And I don't know that I'm actually even answering the damn question you asked. No, me. you are, you are, but it, it is, it is a really interesting thing to ask. And I would say that like the people I've been around know that I don't like to lose. Like 
we play card games with our friends on the weekends. Like I don't lose and I don't enter the card game with the expectation of like, Oh, I might not win this. Like you can ask our friend, our really good friends, Ryan and Tony, like we play these card games with them. It's like, Oh, Matt won again. Or like we go somewhere with them and they're like, we saw you parked in the front row again. Like, how do you always find a spot there? And it's like, because that's my expectation. Like the universe, like knows that that's what I am going to expect. And I believe the universe, God, whatever you believe in just kind of gives me that. Um, and so I don't look for the reward. I just know that I'm going to win. I don't know. Love it, it's weird. I love it. No, it's not a bad answer at all. I think that's perfect. Actually. That's I still bad. win every card game too. It's crazy. Like they know I'm going to win. And even if I have to stretch the rules a little bit, I still win. I don't lose. It's that Michael Jordan mindset, right? Like, you know, it's, it's, it's as much psychological as it is physical or, or your conditions yeah. on the ground, right? Like he just knows he knew that he was going to win. He's going to hit that shot over Brian Russell in the last NBA finals that he was in, right? He's just going to win. And that's the, it's the same spark that you have. I mean, you're not six, six and, you know, able to yeah. dunk, but you know, well, in your, in your world, you're winning. <laughs> well, I guess the cowardly side of me won't put myself in a position where I know I'd lose. So I wouldn't play basketball against Michael Jordan. Cause I know I'd lose. <laughs> there you go. Good point. That's fair. I want to win. Fair. So I'd be like, yeah, dude, you won. It's all good. I don't need to play. <laughs> I love it. Um, the only other question I wanted to ask before we sort of talk about what's next for you is you talked at the beginning about, uh, uh, choosing the, the advice you got from the, from the, there's a million ways to make money, a million, yeah. a million ways to make a million dollars, choose why. And you made choices that led you to where you are today. How do you go about from, you know, 22, 23 year old kid to now being, you know, much more developed and have gone through a lot of growth and so on and so forth. What's your decision tree or your criteria in choosing anything now? Like, how do you go about making choices that serve you? Yeah. So at that GoBundance event in Orlando, I met Ricky Williams, who's the NFL Heisman trophy winning running back who went on the hiatus and, you know, very interesting, deep, spiritual, kind of quirky, confusing human being, but there's so much wisdom in what he taught me when we were playing ping pong. And he told me, he's like, choice creates awareness. I'm like, okay, then what happens? He's like, you just have more choice like well then what happens he's like then you just have more awareness like okay well then what happens he's like you have more choice and like I always thought like you choose and there's a right or a wrong and and I don't know if that's how I grew up I don't know if that's education system today I don't know if that's just who I was I don't know if that's what I thought I thought but my decision tree today is very different than it was when I was 22 or 23 because I thought I was choosing for what's right and what's wrong and what I've learned now is I'm choosing for awareness which will give me more choice so like parenting has been like the most challenging thing. Like my daughter, two and a half um, today, I learned she bit a kid because the kid in line wouldn't let her skip her. So she bit his foot. I'm like, well, that's absolutely not acceptable. But like, how do you parent that? Like, how do you teach that? How do you understand that? And so like, I make a choice on how to address it and I'm not going to make the right choice or the wrong choice, but I'm going to see how she responds. I'm going to see if the behavior corrects and I'll decide, do I make that same choice again? Or do I choose something else? And that's just one example in my life. Like food is the same way. Like if you eat turkey, you get sleepy. So like, what are you going to choose the next time you're offered turkey? Like, maybe I don't want as much turkey or can you swap that with ham or like, you know, so for me, like the decision-making tree is now like easier. I mean, there's still big decisions that are hard that you contemplate over that aren't this easy, but like, for me, it's not about choosing what's right or wrong. And it will drive my wife crazy. Cause a lot, a lot of times I'll make choices, make mistakes, and then have to like find a way to fix the mistake. I'd be like, Oh, let's put the picture here. And I'll put a hole in the wall and be like, Oh my God, that looks terrible. Like, why did I do that? But for me, it's just choice, awareness, choice, awareness, choice, awareness. And the faster I can get from choice to awareness back to choice, the faster my life, I think, 
can continue to move in the trajectory I want it to go. Something tells me that you were a little bit proud of your daughter. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know that proud was the right word. I did ask the nanny, what did the boy look like? And he deserved, did he deserve it? And she's like, well, I was afraid to ask the teacher. I'm like, okay, that's a fair point. But I was like, at first I was like, I don't know, dude, I don't know what to do. Like she was trying to express that she was frustrated that he wouldn't move in line. And so she reacted in a way that's absolutely unacceptable, but the feeling she had, I don't want to kill. So how do I let her have that feeling of like, you're not moving fast enough. I want to go because that's who she is. Like she's two and a half, like the world hasn't had a chance to mold her. And I want her to keep that and say, but you can't express it through bite. I don't, I don't know how to do that. Well, you it, look, every, every one of our kids, everyone listening that had a kid at that age, mine included, that's what they do. They bite people. They, it's just, it's, it's their little, little animals at that point. And they learn over time, just through your teaching and coaching or yeah. whatever, how to react more appropriately to your point without losing, you know, as, as a parent, you're going to coach her not to lose that tenacity, but yeah. you know, she'll learn better reactions when she doesn't, you know, get what she wants right now. It's just, nah. that's like, <laughs> it's I don't know. I have these emotions and I don't know how to express them. Yeah. So this is what the dog would do. Like, yeah, exactly. maybe. Okay. Yeah. It's the primal reaction. Yeah. So you're going to continue to grow as you always have. You're going to continue to grow David's organization alongside him. What is, what's, what's on the horizon for you? What are you thinking about? Are there any projects, any ideas, anything that, that's sort of up and coming for you potentially that you're thinking about? Yeah. I mean, I think um, the biggest thing for me is trying to become a better husband and a better father. Like always like um, the, the business hunger excitement is fun and easy for me. It's hard to shut that side off. And so when I'm home with my wife and my kids, it's hard to like be, be fully present. Like I need to do a better job of slowing down. So I'm, I'm constantly working on being a better version of myself for my family and for my kids, for my future. Cause at the end of the day, that's all that's really going to matter is like, yeah, dad, you were at all of our soccer games, but you're on your phone the whole time. I'm like, Oh shit. Yeah, you're right. Like, that's not really who I want to be. Um, and so like, like right now in, in my mind presently is how do I continue to be a better husband and a better father? Um, and continue to make, you know, different choices based on the awarenesses that I've had to date. Um, I think, you know, one of the things that, you know, I've been thinking about with David, and we've been collaborating about, uh, you know, for three or four years now is like, is what we have special? Or is it duplicatable? And if so, is it trainable? Can we coach to this? Can we teach to this? Can we consult to this? Um, can, can I help people? find integrators? Can I help visionaries manage integrators? Can I help integrators find visionaries? Um, I think that's interesting for me. Um, I think I've always wanted to create something that's bigger than myself that will live longer than me. So like finding that big project for me is still like on my mind and how to do it. Where, where is it? What does it look like? How can it be? Um, and then I think like the most important thing, man, is just to continue to surround myself with people like you, all the amazing guys in GoBundance, you know, the Pat Hybens of the world, the Mike McCarthy's, Tim Rhodes, David Osborne's, and like continue to try to be a better version of myself through what they have to learn to teach me, but then not being afraid to reach down and help some of my friends, for instance, and reach down isn't the right word, but like share the wisdom that I've been given with people that haven't had the opportunity to get that wisdom yet. So like, I've got a really good friend who read that book right behind your head, Jamie called tribe of millionaires. And he called me the next day and said, like, I want an accountability partner. What does that look like? And we set like a 30 day challenge. It was me, my wife, him and his wife. And we did a 30 day challenge and it like kickstarted his like journey. He's lost a bunch of weight. He's reading books. He's analyzing real estate deals. And like, all it did was I exposed him to some of this 
knowledge that I've been so lucky to get. And so like on the journey, I want to continue to try to pour back into people who maybe haven't got as lucky as I've gotten and, and gotten to surround themselves with people who know some of this stuff that as a kid, I didn't have any idea. Like, you know, like I'm an investor. I'm a New York Times bestselling author. I'm like, oh God, here we go again. Like I say the same thing about David. Like the first time I ever saw David speak, he had a purple journal and he stood in the front of the room. He's like, oh, these are my, this is my journal. And I was like sitting in the back. I'm like 21, 20, no, 22 athlete. And I'm like rolling my eyes going like, man, there's like a 47 year old dude holding a purple journal in the front of the room. What am I doing in this room? And he showed his vision board and he's like, this was my vision board. And it had like a plane and a car and it had like a boat and a family and these real estate pieces and all this cool stuff. And somebody raised their hand like, why did you say it was your vision board? It's like, oh, because all this shit came true. So my wife's making a new one. So like I immediately wrote on my notes, like order a purple journal, write my goals down. Like I was like, oh my God, like by entering into judgment, I lost all the opportunity to learn from these people. Um, and I just hope that I can pour into to people half as much as people like yourself, people like David, Pat, et cetera, have poured into me. Lots of wisdom, man. At a young age, especially, I give you a lot of credit for all you've done and all that you think about and, and just the yeah. wisdom that you espouse. So I appreciate that from you. What's, uh, what's the best way to reach out or find out what you're doing or David's doing? Like, what's the best, where do you want to direct people to learn more about you, reach God, out to you or. Yeah, it's a loaded question. I deleted my Facebook. Yeah, I know you I did. Didn't like the time <laughs> it was taking from my life. Uh, I still have it. I just don't check it. My yep. assistant locked me out of it. I'm on Instagram. Um, email me. I can give you my email. You put it in the show notes. Look up David. I am David Osborne. I'm usually wherever he is. So if he's doing something cool, it means I'm in the background, probably doing something cool, having fun too. Lurking, I say. Lurking, lurking. lurking. There you go. Follow GoBundance. Um you know, just, yeah. I mean, I'll give you my email and happy to answer, reach out if anybody needs anything and be of service any way I can. Amazing. Well, Hey man, thanks for doing this. I know you're kind of locked down right now, having some COVID exposure within the family. I don't know where you're in a hotel suite of some sort, I, I whatever know. it is. Santa Claus was here though. You saw Santa. I, did. I saw Santa. I did. I, did. <laughs> I think we'll edit that out from the, from, it won't be part of the, uh, part yeah. of the, the whole entire production here, but, uh, but you no, man, I really appreciate you doing this. Add, add it as like one of those like outtakes. Outtakes. <laughs> yeah. Do it at the beginning. Yeah. You thanks, and Santa. Thanks for having around. me, Jamie. And thanks for all you did, all you did to, for, for my journey. And thanks for all you're doing for all those other people. I mean, emerge and ascend and the programs you're building inside of abundance and the people you're pouring into. I mean, I wish I would have known about that when I was 17 or 18, because I think I'd be even farther on my journey than I am today. So pretty yeah, well, though, keep, you're doing keep pretty well. into those people. That's awesome. Appreciate that, brother. All right, man. I appreciate thanks, you man. and we'll talk soon. Thanks, Jamie. The wrong tribe confounds, the right tribe compounds. Get your free copy of the runaway bestseller Tribe of Millionaires at $20 value at tribeofmillionaires.com free. Just pay the shipping. That's tribeofmillionaires.com. Thank you for tuning in to the GoBundance podcast. We hope to see you at a live event in the near future. If you're new to us, here's a quick explanation of our programs. Number one, Emerge a web-based journey for millionaires to be. Number two, Ascend, an interactive mastermind, the next stage of our journey. Number three, GoBundance Elite, the original tribe of millionaires. Number four, GoBundance Champions, five million net worth and above. Number five, GoBundance Women, a tribe of amazing badass women. For detailed information on all five of these, simply find us at GoBundance.com. Until then, grab life big.